of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and I hope you too are excited this morning. And I'm going to share a, a word from the Scripture today. Uh, I'm lying already. I'm sorry. I'm going to share a lot of different words from Scripture with you today to help us understand how we can put in perspective this concept that Christ has overcome the grave and what that means for you and I as the body of Christ, or maybe for the first time you're hearing about who this Jesus is and what he did for you and I. And I would argue today, I hope you came with your pencil sharp, your pen sharp, and, and your mind's ready and astute. Now, if you shouldn't be hungry. Now, I will share this with you. We had breakfast this morning right after sunrise service, all right? So I'm not hungry. I can go all day, right? And I know what I got waiting on me at home like most of you, the ham and the mashed taters and all that stuff, right? So I know I'm not going to be hungry when I get home, so I've got enough to keep me going for several hours. So we're going to see where the Scripture leads us, right? Isn't it wonderful God gave us 66 books? Uh, But like any good diet, we don't want to consume too much at one time. So I'm going to share with you this morning a few verses today that are going to help us understand what it means to overcome in this life the way Jesus would have us to be an overcomer in this world. So I want to invite you to turn to your Bible if you'll find 1 John. Now this guy by the name of John, an apostle that walked with Jesus when he was a very young boy, teenage years, wrote four different books that we have, well five actually, in the New Testament. One, the book of prophecy. He wrote the gospel of John. And then he wrote these three epistles, these little letters we call them, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He even put his name on it, even though it might not have been his doing, but his name got put there. But we're going to be in 1 John today, one of these five letters that he has written, prophetic letters, one of these books, and we're going to look at this aspect in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, about what it means to be an overcomer. Now, I want to share with you an illustration this morning. As we, as we woke up, we, we spent the morning celebrating what you see in this image here as Mary and Peter and this disciple in whom Jesus loved, as his book, The Gospel of John, attributes that name to, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He never calls himself John in the Gospel of John, but we know that these three people at least were at that tomb that morning when they went there, and they saw the stone rolled away. They saw Jesus not there. They saw the linen garments wrapped up and folded where Jesus had been placed three days prior. Now keep in mind, the stone had been sealed, the stone had been guarded by Roman soldiers, the Jewish elite of the day that had Jesus crucified went to Pilate and asked for guards to be placed, because who would it have benefited the most if when they had gone to the tomb and Jesus' body had been taken by his disciples? It would have just proved the fact that Jesus told those Pharisees, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And they all scoffed. It took us 40 years to build this. How are you going to rebuild it? They didn't understand he was talking about his physical body. So it would have been to their benefit for that tomb to remain sealed and Jesus' body to still be there on the third day, decrying, if you will, the proclamation that Jesus made that that tomb would be empty and that his body would be rose. And Mary and John and Peter ran to that tomb and this morning they found it empty and that leads us to what I'm going to share with you today the hope that we have in being able to overcome the world through Jesus Christ you see our hope in the Christian faith is not because of the cross I was talking to another brother the other day and I asked him I said you know what would be the symbol for the real Christian hope I mean, we have the cross, we wear it on our neck and our earrings, and we wear it on our car, and we've got the little ichthys fish running around, right? The little fish-shaped symbol. 
But what's the real symbol of Christianity? So I got it, y'all. Here it is. It's two circles. One of them hollow, the other one filled in dark black, representing the transition from darkness to light. Because I would argue the true symbol for the Christian faith is the empty tomb. It's not the cross. See, it's not the cross of Calvary where Jesus hung and shed his blood and his body that was broken for you and I that brought us salvation. That was a necessary part of the atonement. Folks, it's the empty tomb that we have the hope. You see, one of the major differences between all world religions and what we believe in in Jesus Christ is the fact that Allah is still dead in the grave. Buddha is still dead in his bones in the grave. Confucius is still confused and dead in the grave. Jesus is risen. Amen? Amen. What a hope that we have in our Savior and an understanding that we can overcome. And this same John that was present there, looking in, the same John that stood at the crucifixion on Golgotha's hill with Mary, Jesus' mother, the same John is now giving us this understanding of this gospel. The authority that he has to write about what he experienced firsthand and he knows to be true. Like many of you today, we experience and we share what we know to be true because it has, it has impacted us in such a way that it has transformed our life as followers of Jesus Christ. We know where we have been and we have the hope now to know where we are going. Amen? What a wonderful understanding. So I'm going to invite you, if you will, to turn to the Scripture in 1 John chapter 5, and let's observe verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read them out of the English Standard Version, and I'd like you to follow along with whatever version you have. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right in the pew in front of you that's the same translation. If you'd like to follow along, and if you'd like to take that Bible with you today, if you don't have one, consider that our gift to you so you can have God's holy word in your hands. Let's pick up in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray together over God's Word. So, Father, we thank you for your written Word. We thank you for the proclamation of your truth in this appointed hour where you have gathered each and every person under the voice, under the, under the house, under this voice of, of my voice that can hear this. Father, we thank you for the gathering and we know that your word will not leave us untouched. Father, we pray that the scripture would penetrate our hearts, Lord, would soften the hardest of hearts. Lord, it would comfort those of us that are challenged this morning. And Father, I pray that it will challenge those who are comfortable in the status quo of life. Father, I hope your word teach us and understand how to be an overcomer in this world. Father, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to share with you, if you're taking notes on inside your bulletin, if you've got one of those on the way in today, there's a spot for you to, to write down notes and you can follow along. And there may be something I share with you that sparks an interest that you want to dig a little bit deeper on that I'm going to go here during our short time together today. But by all means, write those notes down. And if you have a question at home, type them in your chat box and our IT booth will answer them. Doesn't matter what it is, they will answer it. Now, I can't promise you what they're going to give you for an answer. Right? But they're going to answer it with something. 
and it may be, please see the pastor, right? Uh, but God bless you, and please let us know. We'd love to have your feedback, and if you have a question of something you hear today, shoot me an email. You'll find it on that bulletin, pastor at imbcworship.org, and I'll go a little deeper with you on what did I mean by that, or why did I say it that way, or what does this mean for my life? Who is this Jesus who through we can be an overcomer. Would love to share that with you one-on-one. But I want to share with you today five things that we're going to see through this scripture that are going to help us understand and put the resurrection of Jesus Christ in proper perspective. And they're going to be a declaration, if you will. When we use the word a declaration, it means somebody is declaring something with an authoritative manner that is truthful, that can be anchored upon, that can be a rock, if you will, for us to move forward. So I want to give you a few declarations that we see in this scripture, and then another one that's going to come out of a different text that I'll share with you in a few moments. Number one, we're going to see that there's a declaration of agency in the resurrection. There's a declaration of adoption that we see from God's children. There's a declaration of the avenue in which we must approach the throne of grace. And there's a declaration of absoluteness of what Jesus did. And lastly, we're going to see the declaration of the ability that we have and what Scripture tells us to have this relationship to overcome the world. Now, if you're a James Bond fan, right, I didn't want to upset anybody who's an older James Bond fan or a James Bond fan and a new James Bond fan. So here's my, my image for secret agent. That's the best I could come up with. Right, so there's this thing called the secret agent, and we know what that is. One of them James Bond spy movies that goes out and he does things to know, and he acts behind the scenes on behalf of some government or whatnot to influence something from going on. Well, I want to share with you in Scripture today our first point in the text in verse 1 that there's a declaration of agency that's being given here. Not secret agent, but the agency himself. Notice in verse 1 that everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. You see, we first we start off with understanding who this agency is, and it tells us right in Scripture at the very beginning. Agency is determined or is defined as the following. It's an office or a function of an agent. It's a relationship between a principal and that person's agent. Did you know that Jesus Christ is the agent between you and God of creation? That no one comes to the Father except by the Son. Jesus Christ is declaring here that he is the agent by which salvation comes. He would say in another verse of Scripture that no man comes to the Father except by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. He would go on in John's Gospel in seven different sections and tell us that he is the I am of something. He is the agent by which salvation comes by no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. Now, points one, two, three, and four are going to go by fairly quickly. So write quick if you want, or you can watch the recording later, but we're going to get at it because point five, we're going to camp out, have lunch, and come back after our nap, okay? Just kidding. Right, so here we are. We see the agency, number one, is Jesus Christ. But the second part of this agency issue is that we've got to understand that the Scripture says that everyone who believes... Now, this word belief means to accept something as true. Now, it does not mean that when we believe something, we understand it all. Amen? There are things that you don't understand. You believe your wife loves you, but you don't understand why she married you. Right? I mean, are we there, men? Amen? Right? And, And ladies, we still believe you love him, but we still don't understand why you stay. Right? It's the truth. We understand some concepts of belief, but we don't know all of the details of what's going to happen or how it evolves and it gets bigger, right? And how more clarity comes over time. 
And that was what was going on here with the disciples. As they went to that tomb, they had lived with Jesus, had walked with Jesus, had been with Jesus, had saw all the miracles of Jesus, but yet they still didn't get it. Peter, on the night of Jesus' betrayal, as he's being brought before Caiaphas in the high council, Peter's out there like we were this morning, looking for a barrel drum to warm ourselves with, because it was chilly out. Peter's around the warming barrel, and three times he's asked if he is a follower of that Galilean, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Galilee. No, no, no. And the rooster crows. See, Jesus knew that Peter would do that. Peter ran away. Even though he believed who he was, he still had moments of doubt and uncertainty of what was going on. And folks, I would argue we all have a little Peter in us from time to time. Well, we're not certain and sure about what's going on and why this could be happening or how this could be, even though we believe in Jesus Christ. You see, the agency is Christ. Belief is at the core of Christianity, to believe, to accept it as true. Here's the bottom line for the Christian faith. If someone was to ask me today, why are you a Christian? I will tell you this, because I choose to believe Jesus is the Messiah. No one's forced me. Now, I will tell you, there's great conviction. So some would argue that the Holy Spirit has forced me and compelled me to accept him. But I would argue that I believe Jesus has given humanity a responsibility in this participation of choosing to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Because don't we know many who choose not to believe, even though they know the truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But they still choose to stay bound in their sin instead of choosing to repent of it and to follow Christ, right? Thirdly, though, we see here in this very first verse, at the very beginning, the very first word, not only was there an agency there in Jesus Christ, not only was belief required, but notice it uses the word everyone. Everyone. Everyone defined could be each or the totality of the object, the mass, the collective group, all, every, each, the whole. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, John's going to go on to explain what he means in the first part of that sentence of overcoming the world. But it's an opportunity for, for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. You see, Romans ten thirteen is clear here that whosoever will, this is the same reference that John was making, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus reminds us that I came to seek and save that which is lost. He didn't say, I came to, to save the select. Jesus said, I came to save that which was lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Folks, if you're under the sound of my voice, the scriptures of God's word is reaching the innermost parts of your heart and your head to help you understand you're the everyone. You're the whoever. We together are the people that God is reaching with his truth that Jesus Christ is the agent of change. True change that brings salvation. But with this declaration of agency also comes a declaration of adoption. When we've been brought into the family of God, there are some things that transpire in our life. There are some evidences, if you will. We understand evidence. We have courts. 
And with all the issues that we have in our legal system today that is running rampant in our news, we still understand that a court's job is to find the evidence to provide a verdict of whether I am guilty or innocent, whether I'm proven in a court of law by a jury of my peers beyond a reasonable shadow of a doubt. Well, I would argue with you and share with you that the Scriptures tell us there is a proof in the adoption that we have and the agency of Jesus Christ that lets us know we are his children. Look with me in the second part of verse 1. Has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Underline that in your Bible, if you don't mind. Now, if you don't like to write in your Bible because you think it's sacrilegious, I'm going to tell you a good way to understand whether it's blasphemy or not. If you wrote it in your pen, it's not the Scripture. If it's in black and white and print, that's the Bible. It's okay to write in your Bible, amen? And when you fill that one up, go buy you another one and keep notes. Get you a bigger journal, right? But underline the word burdensome, and I'm going to explain to you in a moment what Jesus tells us about this issue of burden. But we see three things of evidence here in this adoption as children of God. Number one, that we have love for the Father demonstrated by our actions. You see, Jesus tells us that you will know them by their fruit. You see, the way we act, the way we interact with other people, the way we live our life, the things that we do, they don't make us righteous. Those actions that we take, we can't earn our way to God. We can't pay enough. You can't put enough money in this plate to earn your salvation today if you had all the money in the world, right? What profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul, Jesus would remind us. You see, we can't earn our salvation. It's something that God has already done for us if we choose to believe everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We have that faith. And here, when we're adopted into God's family, we will have some evidences that come out of our life. The love we have for the Father guides our demonstrated actions of what we do daily. Not that we're perfect, right? I have to say that because my children are here. They know me. Amen? Some of y'all went right over your head, right? But the reality is people know us personally. There's a relationship thing that goes on in our life with one another. I've often shared, and I've preached barefoot before. You know why? When you walk around barefooted, what happens? Your feet get dirty. You walk outside in the mud, and you get that squishy feeling. You ever had that? Right between your toes, right? When you do ministry, folks, your feet get dirty. It's not always the clean, pretty thing that we see in church when we're doing life together, living this world as an overcomer. Sometimes life gets dirty. It gets messy. And it starts to, quite honestly, it starts to smell a little bit, right? Now, I'm not calling nobody out, all right? So don't nobody get offended. But reality, when we do life together, it's not clean. It's not perfect. We ain't all got it figured out. And if you think you got it figured out, I'd argue, come see me this week. All right, and I'll let you know that you ain't got it figured out. Matter of fact, if you're right, I'll let you figure me out. All right, give me a little help. But that's the fact of doing ministry. But when we have love for one another, we demonstrate it through our actions. Love one another demonstrates the love for the Father. When we love each other, as Jesus gave us this great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all you got. I'm adding that part. With everything you are, love Him and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbors yourself. When we do that, we're demonstrating our love for one another. Really, the root of that is the love that we have for God, the love that we have for His Son, Jesus Christ, the love that we have for the Father. 
Thirdly, though, his love, we got to love his commandments according to Scripture. And we don't have to like them, right? We all know that person. We all got that person in our family, right? We know we don't like them, but we love them. Right? Y'all can be real here, right? We are recording this, by the way, so that's okay. Right? But that's the reality. We, we may not love, like everything that goes on, but we are called to love one another. Love that transcends preference. Love that transcends opinion. Love that transcends all those things. I don't have to like you, but I'm called to love you. Now, through that, I hope that I learn to like, and I'm able to like, to love one another. But notice the last part of verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now, many look at the Word of God like a list, a menu list of do's and don'ts, right? It's like that list that your wife told you, you can do these things, but you can't do these things, right? I can't have honey nut Cheerios, y'all. I can't, no, I'm sorry, I can have those. I can't have, y'all bear with me now, I can't have Lucky Charms, Okay? She called me one time in a pantry all by myself. What was I doing? I was like a little four-year-old in there eating out a box of Lucky Charms. I wanted me some Lucky Charms. I was going to find that leprechaun. The reality of it, she knew it wasn't good for me. Right? But see, the Word of God is not like that list of do's and don'ts of what I can and can't have. What it is, it's a way to keep me in alignment with the favor of God. It helped me teach me how do I can have this life that God promised me that we may have it in abundance. Not like the thief who comes to steal, rob, kill, and destroy. I've come, Jesus said, so that you may have life and have it in abundance. See, the diet of God's Word helps keep me healthy, helps me understand what's going on. It says here in John, it's not burdensome. Let me share with you what Jesus says about coming to Him and the burden that's there. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 30, He says, Come to me, all. Now notice that word there again. If there's any doubt that everyone, whosoever will, all, Jesus is speaking to all his creation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That doesn't sound burdensome to me, does it? Matter of fact, it sounds like someone who doesn't want to just help me carry the load. Sounds to me like someone who wants to take the load off my back and carry it for me. You know, that's the exact thing that Jesus did when he carried that cross of Golgotha's hill. And he laid down on it to bear my sins, my penalty, my debt, what I owed. And you know what he said when it was all finished? Paid in full. By the cross. That's what Jesus did for me. That's what Jesus did for all of us. For whosoever, for everyone, for all who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thirdly, let me share with you in, in verse 4 of John's writing here that there's a declaration of the avenue by which we can achieve and, and come to this position of understanding of salvation with God. This soteriology, if you will. Notice in verse 4 it says the following, For everyone, are you all seeing a pattern here in the Scripture? Everyone, whosoever, all. What great length God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has gone to to get our attention, to let us know that He wants us to come back to be reconciled to Him. For everyone, 
who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Faith. Now what is faith, you may wonder. Faith and this avenue, if you will, that we have. Faith is what we believe, what we put our trust into. It's an understanding. It's something that's not tangible right in front of us, but it's something that's hoped for, as the Hebrew writer would tell us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. The things hoped for in the future are faith that Christ is the Messiah. Let me share with you what an avenue is. An avenue, many of us understand when we're driving a car. We go down the avenue to get to the store, or we go down some other way. An avenue provides a way or an access, a channel for pursuing the desired object. The declaration that John is making here that Jesus Christ is the way and that by faith is the avenue by which we come into the relationship with Jesus. Now, it didn't say by finances. It didn't say by friendships. It didn't say by frolicking or any other word that rhymes with F. It says by faith and faith alone. The writer of Ephesians in Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 9 would tell us, that this issue of faith, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works. Let no man must boast. But if I can be honest with you for a moment, you ever had someone that wanted to give you a gift? You, you, you knew the person, you liked the person, but they always liked you more than you liked them. You ever had one of those friendships? And they give you something really nice, like expensive nice. And they hand you a new Apple Watch, right? Nice. And you're hesitant to take it. You're like, eh, I don't want that, right? Folks, we do this at our Christmas parties, don't we? Secret Santa, we're going to play it. $10 minimum, $10 maximum. Nobody buys a gift over $10 now, right? Why? Because we don't want to be in debt to somebody for giving us something that we don't think we deserve to begin with. Here, Jesus Christ, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and he says, For grace you have been saved through faith, it is not of your own doing. I firmly believe in all of my counseling and just doing life. There are some folks that have a real hard time accepting a gift when they know they've done nothing to deserve it. But folks, that's every single one of our stories when it comes to Jesus Christ. He has offered a gift that none of us deserve. None of us merit, none of us warrant, none of us have earned the right or have the favor that comes with grace. You see, what God did for us on the cross of Calvary, we can only obtain through the avenue of faith. What is faith? Trust is another word, a synonym, if you will. Strong confidence in and a reliance upon someone or something, often the object of trust to be understood. You see, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone He is the anchor of our faith that we have. And it's that faith that provides the avenue, as Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. It is by the grace of God. It is through faith that we are saved. It's not anything we do on our own. Man, have we messed that up throughout the decades. Pay this, build that, keep this penance, say this many prayers, walk this many miles, suffer this much, go on the mission field for this many years, and then come back and I'll like you. Isn't it wonderful that God's economy doesn't work that way? You know a little secret? When you come to Christ through faith in Jesus, He loves you as much as He ever will at that very moment. And here's another secret. That love that He loved you with at that moment will never leave you. 
you'll never add to it. You won't make him love you any more than the moment you repented of your sins and accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You got all the Jesus you are ever going to need. That's the beautiful thing of the salvation that we have. So we see the agency is Jesus Christ. We understand the adoption is the fruits of living that life of his children, loving one another, loving God with all we have. We understand the declaration of avenue is the way to Jesus is through faith and faith alone. But fourthly, I want to share with you, there's a declaration of absoluteness that we have in the gospel. Absoluteness in the empty tomb that was prepared so that we may have this faith that John is talking about. Notice with me in verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, he's not going to force us to believe, but I believe God has already gone out of his way to show us who he is, to show us. How many of y'all were outside this morning, 36 degree temperature? April 4th. I mean, come on, y'all. Who can change the weather like that? It was 70 degrees, 80 degrees two weeks ago. It's going to be 80 degrees next week. But yet this morning, right? Does our God have a sense of humor? You better believe it. It was cold this morning, right? He's, done, he's gone out of his way to show us the seasons change. The leaves bud and the leaves fall. New life is given. Old life goes back to the dust in which it came. God's cycle of life shows us who he is. Who can hang the moon and stars, the sun, the, the orbits of the planets, the seas, or make the fish and creepy things that crawl in them other than God? Folks, I would argue like the writer of Romans 1 tells us, we are without excuse today to see the footprint and the handprints of God upon his creation. The declaration, declaration of absoluteness. Now, absolution means an advocacy of a rule by absolute standards. An advocacy of a rule by absolute standards, an absolute standard or principle. That's what absoluteness is. What does it mean to overcome? Well, how do we know what that is? And overcoming means to defeat something, as if it was a military campaign. When we overcome the enemy, when we overcome especially when it's a contested victory, a military conflict to be an overcomer. Let me share with you a few verses of Scripture, and I've written them at the bottom for you to jot down in your notes. I'm not going to show the Scriptures on the screen, but write those Scriptures down and go back and read those this week. If you listen to one single sermon, I promise you've got enough to keep you busy all week long researching and learning. And then email me with your questions, right? So here's what God's Word tells us about the overcoming of Jesus and how He overcame. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transfer, transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul would write to the Thessalonica church, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, this is how we overcome. This is how the absolute teaching of God's Word, the Word breathed out, pneumatheos, God breathed, for all Scripture is God breathed. We believe that. Not just man written, but God breathed, given to those men to write for you and I. In 1 John four fifteen, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
So how do we overcome? I'm going to give you the ability to overcome according to Scripture here in just a minute. How do we overcome? I'm going to share with you the ability, a declaration of ability. Now, we're going to jump text for a minute, and I'm going to give you Romans 10, 8 through 13 as our anchor for how do we overcome, and I'm going to explain that in a few parts. Romans 8, excuse me, 10 verses 8 through 13 are going to explain. Listen to what I read. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's pretty clear, isn't it? For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. All who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We just close our Bibles and leave right now from that, can't we? It's good, isn't it? That's the truth. What's the ability that's being declared here? Let me, let me share with you a few points. I'm going to break down verses 9 through 13 for you. The application of salvation is the following. How do we apply this? The scripture in verse 9, the first part says, we got to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Homologio would be this word of shouting out like a bullhorn on a megaphone on a sports field. You ever see a cheerleader hold up one of them big, long, obnoxious horns, right? And start telling you to clap louder? Yeah, that's the concept of what Jesus means by confessing him as Lord with our mouth, a verbal confession. Secondly, though, the application of salvation, that if we believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead. You see, this morning, we celebrated the proof and the evidence. Now, if you're skeptical and don't know if this really happened or not, I'm going to give you a name of a professor, Dr. Gary Habermas. He's a professor at Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. That's what I still call it. He goes there and he's teaching. He is the world-renowned expert on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you want to get some books to read, if you like reading books, you can read those books, and he will lay out the scientific and factual evidences that point us to the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Gary Habermas is his name, so if you want to dig a little deeper. But here the Scripture tells us, belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead. All the books in the world won't save you. It's belief in our heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. Even Thomas doubted, remember? I won't believe until I see the nail-pierced hands and touch his side myself, Thomas says. And guess what? Our Lord provides, amen, Jehovah Jireh. The next week, eight days later, that same Sunday evening in the upper room, who's there? Now, y'all, he didn't knock. He just walked through the wall, okay? He showed himself to Thomas. Touch. Feel him. Not an aberration. Flesh in the present. The resurrected Jesus appearing to over 500 of the brothers, as Paul reminded us. Now to Thomas, touch, feel. Later on in John's gospel, he's going to be on the shoreline in Galilee. Peter and the other disciples are going to see him. What's he tell Peter? Bring me some fish. Let's cook breakfast together. I don't know about how many of y'all eat fish for breakfast, but that's what was going on in the first century church, right? They were eating fish flesh, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice in the last part of verse 9, though, 
the promise, the assurance we can bank on, the ability we have, you will be saved. Isn't that wonderful? Matthew verses 10, 32 through 33, Jesus would explain this himself. Not just Paul declaring this to the church in Rome that he desires to go visit, but Matthew's gospel records Jesus talking about the way that we do this very thing. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father. Remember, he's the agent. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Folks, there's no such thing as a closet Christian. What you profess on your bed or in your closet, if you don't make it public and let others know and confess Jesus Christ before men, Jesus' word says, I will not confess you before the Father. Matter of fact, he says, I will deny you before the Father in heaven. God's pretty clear about the application of how we come and have the ability to be saved. But there's a confirmation that comes. Scripture just doesn't leave us with the commands of, here, you need to do this. It tells us, now that you've done it, let me share with you what's going to, you can take hold of. Let me give you the confirmations that we see in verses 10 through 11. Heart belief leads to debt relief. You like that one? I worked hard on that, y'all. Heart belief leads to debt relief. The word justification here in the Scripture. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Justified means a status of legal rectitude that satisfies the moral requirements of God's character. You see, heart belief leads to debt relief because our debt of sin has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. Let me give you a little secret, Christians. Not only the debt that led you to Christ of the sins before you came to Jesus, but the sins that you're living in right now, God still wants to forgive you of those. And if you're living righteous and holy, you're one of them high rollers, right? And you got it all good. You're the guy that's going to come see me on Thursday. you got to figure it out. He's even forgiven you and going to for the sins you're going to commit in the future as his child. You see, don't we understand that relationship? How many of y'all have a child that's done something you didn't agree with? Or maybe they did something wrong and they incurred some kind of a debt penalty. Whether it be restriction, maybe they skipped school, maybe they crashed your car, or maybe they just left it on E when they brought it back. Right? No conviction here. Just kidding. There's debt that's got to be paid. But don't we, don't we want to forgive our children, even when they've done wrong? We still love them. We still forgive them. We still extend that grace to them. Over time, maybe. Right? But we forgive them. Looks, why does our Heavenly Father do anything different with you and I if we're His children? Yeah, we may have restriction for a day or two. Maybe God withholds a few blessings that we would have had had we not partaken in that sin. But the moment we confess those sins in our Christian walk, God is faithful to forgive us. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, our sins are to be remembered no more, not even be brought back against us. Paid in full. And secondly, I want to share with you the confirmation that we have. Mouth confession leads to eternal possession. Mouth confession leads to eternal possession. That's what the Scripture is telling us here in verse 11. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Now Peter quotes this, and Paul quotes this, and there's a reference to the Old Testament. But the truth of God's Word in its entirety is that if we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ... Mouth confession 
leads to eternal possession. But, but, but wait a minute. Well, what happens to the sins that I'm still caught up in right now? You know, if I, if I come to Jesus and I accept him, then, then I know that I'm going to have to stop doing some of those things. And I want to stop doing them, but I just don't know if I have the ability to stop doing them. I would say to that person, you're absolutely right. You don't have the ability to stop doing them. And you never will. I remember as a young soldier, I had a mouth like a sailor. I could cuss with the best of them. I'd drop a nail, and I could give you four adjectives used ten different ways. Okay? Not proud of it. But I remember over and over recognizing I had a problem. And I, reckon, I remember telling myself before I was saved, I'm just going to stop using this language. Y'all know how long that lasted? About ten feet. Right? There's some things we just can't do on our own. And it wasn't until I came to Christ that God took that away from me. And then he slowly started to begin taking, some very quickly, but some things it's been over time where God is removing those sins from my life. We call that sanctification. But you know what? I couldn't do it on my own before him. I had no ability to do it on my own. I was fallen, carnal, in my natural state of all about me. And what I want is what I want, when I want it, how I want it, and I want it now. And I'm going to get it. But see, when Christ came into my life, my wanter changed. I didn't want those things anymore. I wanted to live for him. Now, still not perfect, right? My wife's here to testify, amen, right? But we're growing more Christ-like every day. The point is, you will never change by yourself until Christ changed you from the inside out. It's truly an inside job. Thirdly, I want to share with you in closing that there's a reservation for all to salvation. Notice what verses 12 through 13 tell us. Right? I can't make this stuff up, y'all. I'm not smart enough to come up with this on my own. Look at the Scripture. Verses 12 through 13. For there is no distinction, number one, between Jew and Greek. That means between God's chosen people, Israel, Jewish natural-born citizen who inherited the right through their birth, and those who were Greek, pagan, heathen. Both have an equal standing with God through Jesus Christ. Equal. There's no distinction, the word. There's no differentiation between the two. If you put them all in the same room, they all smell the same. Right? There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. But notice he goes on. The same Lord is Lord of all. The monotheistic God that Israel served, the one God... It's still the same one God in three parts that we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, God in the flesh, God incarnate, the Word that became flesh. We still serve that same Lord who is Lord of all. But notice the Scripture talks about what He wants to give to His children, bestowing or giving out His riches. Pluton in the Greek meaning something that is wealthy. The God of all creation is the God of all riches. And what's he want to do? He wants to give it to his children for you and I, for our benefit, for our blessings, for our use, for his kingdom. And lastly, let me share with you the truth about God. God accepts collect calls. You ain't got enough money to pay the debt. And he knows that. I didn't have enough money to pay the debt. And he knew that. But when I called on the faith hotline 
through my belief in Jesus Christ, guess what I heard on the other end? I didn't hear an operator. Please hold while we connect you to your party. You know what I heard? I heard welcome. I heard forgiven. I heard come. I heard now. I heard redeemed. Folks, that's what we have in Christ Jesus. That's what we have in the resurrection. A hope that transcends anything this world could ever offer you and I. God, collect, God accepts collect calls because we could never pay the debt. And if you're hearing this today and you're not sure and you're, you're caught on this fence between some kind of theology that says only some people will be chosen and only some won't and all this other stuff, let me share with you in closing Isaiah 55 verse 11. In case you're wondering whether or not I'm speaking to you and God's word is speaking to everyone. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Folks, you've heard the word of God proclaimed today in this place. And I believe you're not here by accident. You're not watching at home by accident. God has foreordained and predestined this moment, this time, and this place for you to hear these scriptures and these verses why? Because God wants a collect call from someone. God knows there's someone here that doesn't have enough quarters to put in the machine. That your SIM card just expired on your cell phone plan. He's expecting a collect call. Would you put your trust and faith in him today? Do you know that you know if you stood before God on this resurrection Sunday and he looked at you and said, why should I let you into the kingdom of heaven? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you can say, because I've placed my trust and faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Other than that, I have nothing to offer. Folks, he's waiting for a collect call. He's waiting to answer. Would your heart be receptive? Every head bowed and every eye closed. As we close our service today, I want to share a message first for the church. With you, every head bowed and every eye closed. The body of Christ, we know the truth of God's word. I'd encourage you, recommit yourself to that truth. Recommit yourself to the God that loved you so much that he sent his son to Calvary's cross. Not that you can have your best life now, but that you can serve him with the best you've got, with what time you have, with what gifting he's provided. Help us to be the church that he's called us to be. And if you're here today and you're watching at home and you don't know Jesus Christ, our music's going to begin playing. And I don't offer an invitation at every service, but I'll offer one today. Our pianist is going to begin playing. And right where you are, if you know you need a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to dial that line and you want to make a collect call, I want you to slip your hand up in the air. If you know you need a relationship with Jesus and you'd like me to pray with you afterwards and explain this to you, we're willing. Just let one of us know. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your scripture. Father, I praise you for this day that we can celebrate the hope we have for eternity, that this life is not all there is, that Jesus' resurrection is proof of that, and that there is a promise that one day our physical body will be resurrected and our spiritual nature will be joined back together in a perfectness we've never known, not just to experience heaven, but to live in your presence and walk daily in communion with you. Father, we thank you for this Easter celebration. We thank you for the cross of Calvary. But Father, we thank you for the empty tomb and the proof 
that what Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary was sufficient for the sins of the world, and that in your favor you saw fit to resurrect him and approve sacrifice. So, Father, we thank you for the hope we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you for this resurrection day that we celebrate. May every Sunday be a day we are reminded of our need and the hope that we place and trust in Christ Jesus. If there's one here that doesn't know you, Father, we pray that your will be done, that for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We thank you for that promise and that truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.